0: Hello, and welcome back to the Sporting Around the World podcast. My name is David, and with me, as always, is Bobby. Today, we have a special guest whose sole purpose is to strictly fill me in on the topic today. Uh, A very good friend of Bobby and myself, Alex Martinez. Hi there. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. As some of you may know, Bobby and I are both from North Carolina. So is Alex. And today we're going to talk about, arguably, the most North Carolina sport there is. Maybe if you're from the States like us, you might think... That may be basketball because of the Battle of the Blues and the Tobacco Road rivalries. I think a case can be made for NASCAR. We'll get into why later, but I just wanted to get your opinions on that. Uh, So, yeah, I think that's
1: a pretty fair um, assumption. And I've kind of had this conversation before, and I think there's two distinguishing factors. Uh, NASCAR is very popular on my side of the state, which is Western North Carolina. um, And basketball is much more popular on the eastern side or, you know, middle to eastern side. Uh, where a lot of the more major cities are that have those colleges and universities that are so popular. And this, the second thing I've noticed um, is with those cities mentioned earlier, where those colleges are, rural North Carolina seems to be where a lot of the NASCAR fanship kind of gets born and lives on, where those cities that have those colleges that have you know the TV presence um, kind of dominates.
2: Yeah, I didn't even think about a uh difference between cities and rural life in North Carolina. My mind first went to like, yeah, basketball is played in just about every state, but NASCAR is not big in every state. Uh, we've covered a lot of countries on this podcast, and we did Kyrgyzstan recently. I think their most popular sport is probably soccer. But then you got that dead goat polo, like no one else really plays that. So that's what we associate them with.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, um, yeah, with NASCAR, there a lot of it growing up, In a town that wasn't small, but it also wasn't big by any standard, you know, big for East North Carolina, but small regardless, a lot of people were into NASCAR. It's something that has kind of been there. I've never really watched it, um, but it's always been, you know, especially when there's hot racers or hot drivers, you know, people have their favorite stuff, especially when I was younger. I feel like it kind of died for a little bit when I was kind of getting into high school and college. You saw less of it, but like when I was younger, you know, lots of support for NASCAR, but Before we get too far into the purpose of this podcast, which is talking about the Daytona 500, I wanted to ask you both, what is your relationship with NASCAR? Because, you know, as I said before, back when I was younger, you know, I didn't pay much attention to it. I think every now and then my grandfather would have it on on Sunday. And I'm not a big NASCAR guy now, but I definitely wasn't back then. It was a really good napping sport for me. Uh, What about you guys? Well, for me, uh, NASCAR, kind of like you said, was just on the TV
1: occasionally when I was real young. But once I started to get about 10 years old, my uncle, who I spent a lot of time with, created a pastime for us where we'd go to the local dirt track every uh, Saturday um, to watch races on Saturday night. And that was kind of my first like real exposure with racing up close and personal. And so the love affair with NASCAR kind of started there um, because then I wanted to see, you know, the top performers doing what I was enjoying locally. And that's where I really started to get into it. Uh, and that grew for a while and faded some and came back again. Uh, NASCAR is constantly changing. And I have I've felt that as a fan. Uh,
2: I know for me, someone who wasn't born in North Carolina, but who moved here in elementary school years, uh, I was in Boy Scouts and Cub Scouts and all the other little kids were just into NASCAR. And uh, one of my friends had a NASCAR video game. I honestly just like crashing the cars. But it did help me learn all the racers. Uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr. was really big at the time. I think he was like that young hotshot kid. And of course, his dad, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah. So before we talk about the event, we probably should go over what NASCAR is. So NASCAR stands for the National Association for Stock Car Auto Racing. We'll be focusing on stock car racing and the Cup Series. But NASCAR has many other series. And some of those use different vehicles like pickup trucks or pony cars. Some others even compete digitally. I have a feeling you may already know this, Alex. So I'll ask you, Bobby. Do you have a guess for how many series compete under the NASCAR umbrella, like actively right now? Gosh. Uh, see, the three that I know off the top of my head would be the Cup
2: Series, whatever they're calling the Bush Series these days, and then the Truck Series. But there's probably some regional stuff in there. I'll, I'll say 10. Yeah, there's there's 15. 15. Okay. Okay.
1: And he, you hit it right on the money. They have a lot of regional series. So they have the West and Eastern Series for some of the lower tiers, um, and that 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 new Bush moniker is Xfinity these days. But you're not All wrong, right. and that's one of the things you have to keep up with is what is it being called today?
0: Yeah, we'll get into it later. But uh, when I was looking at the schedule, they list the location of the events, and I guess that's because sponsorship could change any year with who wants to pony up the most money uh, for to get that title sponsorship. But there are actually four e leagues. I think one's a collegiate series. But then they have, I think, you know, three tiers of e-racing. Um, and you were telling me the other day that they've pulled up, not necessarily all the way up to the Cup Series, but in the lower leagues, pulled up some e-racers to uh, try them out. Yeah, and that's definitely something we're seeing
1: now um, with iRacing. And you were right, it's a collegiate series. It It's become incredibly accurate in, you know, the simulation driving. And so some drivers and simulators have gotten opportunities off of that.
0: Yeah, I think something similar exists with uh, Formula One too. Uh, they have like a e league and some of the big, you know, names compete in those. But anyway, that's besides the point. I just always think that's really neat. Uh, I love seeing the, the racing sims people have where, you know, they've got this really nice computer with the monitors, you know, facing outside and like a chair and everything's all kind of souped up. That'd be a cool thing to have. I don't know if I'd use it as much as I would need to warrant purchasing something like that, but it would be cool to have. Um, so next we'll get into, you know, we're talking about NASCAR. Let's talk about the origins of the sport. So back in 1919, the U S passed the 18th amendment. If you know your American history, you know that that amendment established the prohibition of alcohol in the United States. It's led to a lot of things, good, bad, who knows? Um, but one of the things it did was increase criminal activity. This of course being revolving around making moonshine and with moonshine, If you have a product, you're going to have to distribute that product or you don't make any money. So you need people who are willing to move your moonshine. They call them runners. And these runners would start modifying their cars to be able to outrun law enforcement. Eventually, runners would start making runs together and they would challenge each other. Um, And this led to organized events forming in the early 1930s. Enter Bill France Sr. So he notices a problem because they start organizing these events. They have tracks everywhere, um, but there's no uniformed rules for uh, this stock car racing, and thus NASCAR was born. Uh, the first meeting of this organization happened in 1948 at the Streamline Hotel. That doesn't really matter, but where it happened was in Daytona Beach, Florida, which should be, you know, a buzzword. You know, we talked about that. that we're going to talk about the Daytona 500. Um, we'll get back to that. As I stated earlier, this is stock car racing. So, what exactly does that mean? It makes a lot of sense once you say it out loud. It means any car entered had to be made of entirely parts available to the general public, and cars had to be models that sold more than 500 units to the general public. And in the early years, these cars were so stock uh, that it was normal for the drivers to drive their racing vehicle to the competition. I have to imagine this um, connection led to the popularity of the sport. There's something very cool about seeing a car you have or one that you can buy outperforming other cars and winning races.
2: I mean, I know the brands that make the NASCAR cars today, like you see Toyota, Chevy, Ford, but then uh, I'm just imagining driving out there with Toyota Camry. Wait, are the NASCARs like actually Camry branded on them?
1: I don't know if they're branded necessarily with like labeling, but that is what they're supposed to resemble and what they call for them to represent. Yeah, because they have what Mustangs too, right? and she, what are the Chevys? Uh, so it's the Chevy, Camaro, the Ford Mustang, and the Toyota Camry in the Cup series. Uh, that doesn't go all the way down. They have different models for each series. Uh, but for the Cup, that's the the three main models.
2: Now I'm just imagining people driving to work in like the standard model of those cars. And now they're like, all right, guys, down to the racetrack.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I, that's just one of the things that when I saw that, It kind of blew my mind just driving your race car, you know, like wherever you need to go. And then it's like, okay, we're good to go. Just load it up with gas and send it on its way. Um, So next we'll get into this is the general history. Um, We're going to kind of go over it really quickly because it's not important for the event, but it is interesting. So NASCAR's history is divided up into generations, and there are seven generations in total. That's an arguable number, but seven, if you were to count the most, And I think maybe that's NASCAR standard is seven, what they've dictated as a new generation. But generation begins with the first year of NASCAR, and it goes on to about 1966. This era is probably the most stock as you get, you know, with those driving your car down to the racetrack and then racing. This is the generation uh, that made famous the phrase race on Sunday, sell on Monday, because the idea was, you know, if you're a manufacturer and you put a car into compete and you win, you could expect an influx of sales, you know, following that win. The coolest thing I found about this generation is that the fabulous Hudson Hornet cars were racing during this era. And if you've watched Disney Pixar's cars, you know about the Hudson Hornet winning three piston cups. Uh, His name is Doc in the movie. Well, that car actually won three NASCAR Grand National Series, which is the name of it back then. It just had three different drivers, but the model won three uh, series titles, which is, you know, a cool nod back. Yeah, more you know. (laughs) A little fun fact about the first generation is I believe...
1: This is the only generation that had true doors on the car because it was at its core stock cars driving up to the tracks. And so it's the only one with true doors.
0: Oh, yeah, that is neat. Um, The next generation, Generation 2, is considered by many fans as the greatest generation. The generational change allowed for stock bodies on modified chassis. A chassis is the frame of a motor vehicle. This generation is also responsible for the Arrow Wars. There's a second Arrow Wars later. Don't worry about it. It's not as important. There was a fierce competition between Ford and Chrysler to create the most aerodynamic car. This generation is the start of the modern era. After a rule change ended the era wars and they started you know, regulating what you could do to the body. And an energy crisis would start the third generation in 1983. Generation three would run until 1991. Most notably, a massive uptick in speed was seen these years. And a new stock car speed record at Talladega was set in 1987 by Bill Elliott, his record of 212 miles per hour still stands to this day. And I can't imagine going that fast in a car.
2: Are the cars today even able to go that fast?
1: I believe they could come close. I know they have some, you know, restrictions to their builds to kind of harness that in as safety regulations, but it's quite the accomplishment. And I think it would take the right tuning and package setup to get there.
0: Yeah. And I think race setting too, it would be difficult, you know, because you're constantly, you know, worrying about other people and, you know, turns and stuff. But I imagine, you know, you could probably get close if it was, you know, a decent size track and you had it all to yourself. You can maybe push it, but it's still so fast. 212, like I think getting up to 200 is pretty rare. Um, Next up is Generation 4. This one has an arguable start date, but NASCAR considers 1992, the beginning of Gen 4. This is the first generation with a highly modified body. This is also the generation with roof flaps, which would keep cars from going airborne. I don't know if they happen after this, but this is where they were introduced. And after Dale Earnhardt's death in 2001, which was a big deal in the racing world, I feel like you know, even if you weren't a racing fan, you knew about when Dale Earnhardt died, especially in North Carolina, but I'm sure in all the southeastern United States and probably the whole country because he was uh, a big deal. We'll get to him later. Uh, After his death, more safety rules were put in place, and in 2003, NASCAR stopped using non-common body templates, and all cars were forced to use the same general template. And then the next three (laughs) kind of bundle together. Uh, There's very thin lines between them. Uh, Generations 5 through 7, they have the least amount of change, and Gen 5 begins in 2007 with the car of tomorrow. This introduced a new era focusing on safety. Common bodies and chassis were, like, standard for all manufacturers. They also had, like, front splitters, which sat at the front of the car, and rear wings slash spoilers that you could adjust for aerodynamic changes, you know, so you weren't all exactly the same. You still could tinker with it. Um, that would later be thrown out. But the sixth generation, it's arguably not a generation by some people's standards because the only change was to the body of the Car of Tomorrow chassis. And the seventh generation... Oh, what's it called? The uh, it is ironically
1: still named Next Gen. Uh, it was just introduced uh, in twenty twenty two, so no new moniker has replaced that. But it's commonly referred to as just Next Gen. But it's brand new. We're in it. It's it's current gen, Next Gen, and it is an exciting car. Doesn't change a lot, like you said, uh, but it does offer a few new features that really changed. Um, they adapted a composite body style, which makes the sheet metal and you know outer layer of the car more durable. Uh, that's where you know Rubin's racing can kind of make a return to NASCAR uh, because with the older 5 and 6, you could touch each other and you're likely to get a flat just from coming in contact with each other. So it's got a composite body style, maintains that body style, but it's just a lot more durable.
0: Yeah, I think one of the big things they had mentioned about these generations, as they were kind of with the changes, they're getting closer to the, that old pack style racing where everyone can be kind of tucked in really densely and you can kind of get exciting challenges and stuff. Uh, so, now that we've established NASCAR as a whole and you have a general picture of the history of it, let's get into the NASCAR Cup Series. As you may or may not know, the first major event is coming up this weekend. I say major event seems wrong because there was a previous event, but there were no points involved, it's just a kickoff. Um, so, I guess depends on what you define as major. Definitely the first important event is this weekend on February 19th, the Daytona 500, where it all started back in Daytona Beach, Florida. Alex, if you had to handpick some of the biggest races, which ones are you suggesting a newcomer watch? That, that is a great question. Uh, there are definitely several races
1: that are just regarded as the, the pinnacle races that are must-see. Uh, that's the Daytona 500 the Talladega race, which is another super speedway, the Indianapolis motor speedway, which is the Indy 500 that you've also possibly heard of. Uh, and then there are short track races as well to kind of get away from those larger style tracks. Um, and Bristol and Martinsville are often regarded as really big wins as they're such difficult tracks to drive. And they're so different than most of the tracks on the circuit. And then of course, uh, always recommend watching the grand finale, which is hosted in Phoenix raceway in Arizona. And then if you're into road course racing, which a lot of new fans are, as they're finding us, you know, through F1 and IndyCar racing, uh, NASCAR has now introduced, I believe there are up to six road course races, uh, ranging from infield courses at already existing tracks to they are actually breaking ground on hosting a city road course, which is a road course designed inside of the city of Chicago, and that will make its debut this year.
2: So yeah, that's the one I'm most looking forward to. Uh, when I first heard that, I think a couple months ago, Chicago street racing—I mean, it's a cool direction that NASCAR is going. I think it'll definitely bring
0: in a lot of new fans. Yeah, I think that's what they're banking on. Formula One is so big overseas. There's, I think, there's a disconnect in why it's not NASCAR is not bigger here, and I think it is growing in other places now uh, with you know the rise of Formula One. But back to Daytona, what makes it special? Is it just the history? I know back in the day, you know, we've gone from hard pack sand to asphalt, you know, what, what makes Daytona special?
1: Well, definitely as you, as you've stated, you know, with it being, you know, the groundbreaking race for NASCAR and then it's just style of racing being a super speedway. Uh, it's gone just through so many changes through the sand to the asphalt to pack racing, which was not always a thing at Daytona. It's just like it with the, you know, the more downforce, the higher speeds. And it's just made the race so special. It's the kickoff. And the way the race has shaped itself now is it is an opportunity for anyone. With pack style Racing, you know, it takes a little bit of luck. It takes grit. And just for the starting race of the season to be such an opportunity for the entire field uh, definitely is what helps make it so
0: special. And they co- they go back to Daytona, right? They do. That is one of the tracks that they visit twice. Yeah, that's what I was about to
2: ask, because I see on the schedule, Daytona is
0: listed twice. So
2: winning that second race is not as impactful, I guess, as the Daytona 500.
1: I'm sure winning any race is special, but Dale Earnhardt made a a very popular phrase um, and that he won the Daytona 500, baby. And it's just just such a special race. Um, It's impressive to win at Daytona anytime,
0: uh, but that kickoff race, it just means so much to those drivers. So we've talked about the sport, we've talked about the Cup Series. Um, Let's get into some of the drivers. It feels like we need to first mention the all-time greats. We'll get into the active drivers soon, but let's talk about the big three. I think, in general, these are considered the best drivers of all time, and there's kind of them, and then there's a separation, and you have the other really good drivers. Um, So Jimmy Johnson, Richard Petty, and Dale Earnhardt. So just a brief background on those When it comes to Jimmy Johnson, the numbers don't lie. Seven titles over an 18-year career, five of them consecutively between 2006 and 2010, which just seems nutty. I think any time going back-to-back is impressive. Um, But to do it (laughs) back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back, sorry, that's just really impressive. And a good portion of his wins, you know, happen on the biggest of stages. Uh, He has four Coca-Cola 600 wins. Uh, That's in Charlotte, actually, right? Mm -hmm. And then four uh, Brickyard 400 wins. Is that Indy? That is the Indy, yeah,
1: um,
0: and then two at Daytona and two at the Southern 500. That's is that South Carolina? Uh, that is yeah, that's Darlington, South Carolina. Yeah, that that's the one that's I think it's called the Cookout now. Cookout. Yeah, I believe
1: it's it's you know the the big payer this locally is Cookout. Yeah. <laughs> the Southern 500.
0: Uh, next up is Richard Petty, who's a big icon for Americans. But especially for North Carolinians. He's from uh Level Cross, North Carolina, which is south of Greensboro, which is about as central as you can get. Uh whenever I was learning to drive, I remember if I was over speeding or taking turns too fast, uh, my mom would say, Slow down Richard Petty. It's just something that I guess, you know, everyone knows who he is. Whether you like NASCAR, you know who Richard Petty is. Um he's a seven time champion as well. Uh he did this in the nineteen seventies. Maybe more impressive is that he won a quarter of the races that took place during the seventies, which is insane you know one out of four you know you're going to win he also has the record for the most wins at the daytona 500 with seven which i mean that just seems crazy
1: yeah so growing up in north carolina and everywhere richard Petty's regarded as the king of motorsports uh it's just you know his moniker and it's it's well earned with all of his accomplishments yeah famous for driving that that blue car right petty, they call it petty blue or something like that yeah yep. richard petty blue uh, it's that 43, again, from that Pixar Cars movie, uh, another big reference that they make uh, honoring
0: the king. And the last of the legends is also in North Carolina, which is why, you know, I was making big arguments for, for North Carolina being the biggest sport. Dale Earnhardt, which we talked about before. Now, Richard Petty and Jimmy Johnson have seven titles. How many do you think Earnhardt has, Bobby? He has seven as well, right? Yeah, they all have seven. It's crazy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so seven time champion as well. Unfortunately, he may be most well known for his fatal accident in 2001. But in his most dominant stint between 1986 and 1991, he won four titles, finished second in points one year and third the other year. And uh, he's finished either first or second in points 10 times over the course of his career. So, you know, when he was on, he was on. I mean, such a huge cultural impact.
2: One of the minor league baseball teams right now in Kannapolis, they were called the Intimidators, but now they're called the Cannonballers. And their logo has like references to Dale Earnhardt's uh, iconic mustache. And if you guys go to Carowinds or Kings Dominion, what the big roller coaster there is the Intimidator
1: named after Dale Earnhardt. Yeah, Intimidator, that's definitely one of the more fun nicknames in in all of NASCAR. Uh, he earned that on the track for what he was probably most famous for behind how successful he was, was how he took about racing and interacted with other drivers on the track. Uh, he was never one to lay off of anybody. He was all about winning. Uh, something else I would like to add about these three drivers and what makes them so special is they really do make up three major eras of NASCAR, with Richard Petty being so dominant in the 60s and 70s, Dell Earnhardt coming around in the 80s and 90s, and then Jimmy Johnson making his debut in the early 2000s. Uh, so they really dominated their era. And with Jimmy Johnson just retiring a couple years ago, I'm looking forward to see who is going to dominate this next era of NASCAR.
0: So Alex, since you are an avid watcher, I figured I'd throw this one your way. Who are some of your favorite active drivers? So my favorite active drivers, uh, that, that, that became
1: really fun in the last year. But I've really taken to one driver in particular because his father was actually my first favorite driver ever. And you mentioned him earlier. That was Bill Elliott. And his son currently races in NASCAR, uh, Chase Elliott. And just having that connection for me, as like I said, I've kind of ebbed and flowed with NASCAR. And it feels like it's really coming full circle. I've really enjoyed watching Chase race. And I just find myself rooting for him every week.
0: No favoritism aside who are the current drivers that have the best chance of winning the cup this year? Uh, And if you had to pick one to win it all right now, like you had to, you know, bet money on it, who would it be? Ooh, now that's a tough one. Um, There's definitely been,
1: you know, many veteran drivers who remain in the sport who just find themselves there year in and year out. And I, I have to find myself picking one of them. But one thing we failed to mention earlier about this new car is their, their, idea that they're going for is that anybody can win on a given Sunday. And they really showed that last year in this debut year, they had 19 different winners out of 36 races, uh, which tied the most ever in the sport. So it does make it really hard to just really lean in. But if I had to go, I would lean towards veterans, such as Kyle Busch, Joey Logano, my guy, Chase Elliott, he's also already won a championship. Um, And those those three always seem like safe bets every year.
0: Yeah, well, we'll see how good your clairvoyant skills are in a few months. Um, The season's a long one. Uh, I don't know about you, Bobby, but I feel like I've learned a lot.
2: Yeah, this was really insightful, Alex. I didn't even know Kyle Busch was still racing. Like, uh, I remember playing those old video games. He was the one of the young people. He was racing the M&M's car at that time. (laughs) I I think M&M's or no Kellogg's Kellogg's, I think way back.
1: He's definitely been through a few sponsors, but you hit it on the nail with M&M's. That was his longtime sponsor, which shows where how long his career is going. He actually just changed teams for the first time and had made that split with Mars and M&M's um, as they left the sport. That's sad. So M&M, there's no M&M car anymore? No, no more M&M's. And, and that seems crazy because growing up playing those same games, there was always an M&M's car, even before Kyle Bush came around.
0: Yeah, I feel like that. There's like not many like fun sponsors left. It's like, there's like monster and like, I don't know, uh, Bass Pro shops and stuff like that. Uh, are there any, are there any food things left? Are there any like, you know, is there a Kellogg's driver anymore? Probably not. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I don't believe
1: there's a Kellogg's car. There are still a few food based ones. Uh, one of my favorite is the Smithfield's car. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a big fan of their products. um, But yeah, you're right. A lot of the sponsorship have turned a little bit more business focused um, as they do use that, you know, for marketing. And so it just turns to be this, you know, more commercial side of it that seems to be dominating these days.
2: Um, What last question I have on the sponsors is Lowe's and Home Depot still around as sponsors because like they were the iconic Tony Stewart, Jimmy Johnson,
1: like always there. As far as I know, um, I think the only times I've seen them recently um, have just been spotting, uh, you know, a race or two. Uh, because sponsors, they can buy out a car for the entire season or they can just buy, you know, slots throughout the season. So I, I believe I've seen those cars make a few appearances, but uh, no longer as like full-time sponsors. Well,
0: oh, yeah, I didn't think about that. I guess you could, yeah, just buy all the major, major uh, events if you wanted to and then just say, all right, you're on your own for these other ones. hmm yeah, it should be fun. Uh I'll probably tune in um maybe to like the back half of the race, maybe. Probably not the full thing. Five hundred laps is a lot. Um yeah, thanks for joining us today. It's been very insightful. Um it's always nice to have an expert. Sometimes we kinda have to talk about things we don't know, which is fun, but maybe not the most informative. And as always, you know, thank you for listening. Um if you want to help us out, please share the podcast with anyone you think would enjoy, you know, the content. If you feel compelled, reach out to us. We have an email. Tell us what you want us to cover next or maybe tell us about a sport you want to be covered or just, you know, tell us what we're doing right and what we're doing wrong. Give us a follow or a subscribe to keep up with us. We'll be back next week with another country profile. Bobby, do you want to give them a hint? Yeah, we're going to Europe. There's an event coming up
2: that this country is hosting. So that's kind of a big hint. But they've been around in a lot of sports in recent years, a lot of big name athletes. And for a country that's not that very... Not very big, Uh, we'll say that. So a lot of interesting stuff. Every
0: country is interesting. So listen every week. (laughs) Thanks again for listening. This has been Sporting Around the World, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.